chapter. First of all, we read from Psalm uh, 95, which is a psalm uh, which is quoted and mentioned in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, where the people, though they were brought out by a great redemption uh, from bondage to slavery in Egypt, they failed through unbelief to enter into the final rest of God in Canaan, which was, of course, a picture pattern of the final rest of the heavenly land of blessing, whose builder and architect is God, and who the patriarch uh, was called out to seek. So Psalm uh, 95, it's on page 590 of the copies of scripture in your seats. O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Uh, Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, There are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then we come to read God's word in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. And we know that God blesses his word. I've entitled this uh, sermon God's Holy Happy Holiday. I was almost tempted to entitle it Hooray, Hooray, It's a Holy Holiday, but I thought that might not be the most appropriate, though I've said it now. So that, I guess, sums up how we should feel about this one holy day of the week, the Lord's Day, this special day. Our day in the Western world, and uh, particularly, I think, no more so on the 
east coast of the United States of America is marked by three things, many things perhaps, but no less than these three, by worry, hurry and rush. Oh, we're so busy, but very often, I think even as Christian people who try not to be so busy, we are too busy, too busy for the Lord our God, whom we're called to serve in the world. We rarely catch our breath because we have so much on our plates. Uh, We briefly mentioned down below this morning in Bible class that when we're in the Reformed Presbyterian Church, it's not one task we're given, but seven. Small wonder we're so busy, and maybe too busy, though of course it's all our service for the Lord. But we must not get overstretched in our service for God. Work is a must, of course. Uh, Providing it's not done in the worship of the greenback, but the living God who must come first, as we were also reminded this morning. And it's probably true that no age like ours in this postmodern world needs to relearn and re-engage with Sabbath rest of the proper sort and the biblical sort. Maybe you're asking, what kind of view does he hold on the Sabbath day? Well, I would just say my goal is to view view scripture to draw the principles out correctly and apply them properly and faithfully and however that falls out that's how you would describe me doing that myself what would be another thing of course the obedience to what I believe about the Lord's day so with God's Weeks task complete, work grinds to a halt or simply stops. With God it just ends and worship begins. Day seven space has been created by God not for idle thoughts or because God is tired. It's not because God needs a rest that he pauses or stops at least it creative work and so it's not primarily at least for God physical rest but it's a spiritual thing for God who does not tire because he does not have a physical body like ours and for us it's a day for physical rest but mainly and chiefly spiritual recharge I guess we could picture the Lord's day. Uh, I hope you don't think this is irreverent. It's not meant to be in any sense. But like one of those electric car stations. View that as the pulpit. Or view that as the Bible. You come in and you're 
batteries just run down and you're chugging up to the scriptures, to the Lord proclaimed in scriptures. And just as the battery goes flat, you, you plug in and then you go away at high speed throughout the rest of the week. Spiritually, not physically or mechanically or electrically, uh, that's what the Sabbath should be, or at least part of it, to recharge and be re-energized in God. So what are the features then that mark Eden's first Sabbath? I have a number of them here. Firstly, it's a completed Sabbath. It's a completed Sabbath, or it's a complete day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. You, you'll remember at the start, they, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So now something's added on, and all the host of them. Like a fu- fully finished turnkey home with polished floors, painted walls, which is sounded familiar, I'm thinking and hoping and praying, furnished rooms and even a well-stocked or partially stocked fridge. But here with a well-stocked fridge, with his world now complete, it's time for God, the architect and builder of all things and originator of all things, to stop and to step back to contemplate and enjoy his own handiwork. That's what's happening here. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Days 1 to 6 frame and fill the earth that had been formless into the most stupendously thrilling global host populating land and sea and sky with God's good works. And if these vast wonders delight God's own heart as he looks back and views his handiwork, the Father viewing the handiwork of the agent of creation, the Son, through whom he performed these things by the Spirit. The three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit, rejoice in each other's plan and performance and empowering of the whole creation, which he's made God's delighting in God and all that he has made and performed and done. And if God is delighted in his own creative handiwork, he expects us to be delighted as we take time to look back at the uh, land and the sea and the sky and everything that God has made. But how much more then? As we survey the finished work of Jesus who said it is done, it is finished. 
at Calvary on the Lord's day. He was through, wasn't he? He was done. He was spent in that labour of love, his atoning work by Friday dusk. And then he was taken down from the cross. You'll remember Nicodemus, uh, who had been unwilling to nail his colours to the mast. Up to that point, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea came and took our Lord down and laid him to rest in the tomb, which was freshly cut. He had his Sabbath rest. And if the work of word creation rejoiced the minds of angels and brought delight to God himself, then the redeeming work of Christ on our behalf in our place. And the agonies of Psalm 22 lived out in those three dark hours. As we view these things and take time and pause and stand back and survey the scene of salvation. Well, that will refresh and delight our hearts and recharge us. It'll thrill us with the wisdom of all that God has done to save us. And it'll overwhelm us with the love and the kindness to us poor sinful creatures and former rebels that he's done to win our loving response and service to him. So it's a completed Sabbath. Uh, let's seek to, to look at that work and to enjoy it. It's also a weekly Sabbath. Secondly, uh, we know that God created the sun, moon and stars for light and for signs and times of the days and the months and the years. We're told that happened on the fourth day. What does this word Sabbath mean? Uh, well, it, it has a double B in, in the middle of it. Shabbat. Sabbath. Double B. And it may be that it's linked uh, either to the idea of intensity. It is intense rest. Intense enjoyment in God. Or it might be linked to a word shapatu in one of the close languages to the Hebrew Akkadian. Uh, and they, the Akkadians had a festival right in the middle of the month when the moon was full uh, to divide the month. It was a kind of cutting off point which is really the, 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 the basic idea behind the word cease. Where it says, uh, and God rested on the seventh day. It means he stopped it. There was a cutoff point. And therefore it served as a marker. Uh, on the east coast here, you're used to EST. 
Eastern Standard Time, which is UK time plus five. Uh, we're used to GMT, Greenwich Mean Time. That, that's the, the Greenwich Observatories near London or in London, and all the world time is uh, marked from that. But this is GMT of a different sort, God's marking time. And by that, God marks off human time into weeks. The seven-day week, the six days work, plus one day rest, stroke, worship. That's God's GMT, God's marking time. In 1793, the French revolutionaries, I think they were called sans-culottes, they were poor and didn't have the same attire that some had, they thought it would be a good idea to replace the Gregorian religious character, or calendar. They said, instead of seven-day weeks, let's have ten-day weeks. And all the uh, revolutionaries who wanted rid of all the medieval influence of the church upon the culture shouted, hooray, hooray, let's have ten day uh, weeks. Or the decade, ten days. Uh, The Gregorian calendar, of course, had 365 days plus one leap. One day added on the fourth leap year. Which was scientific, really. That's the amount of time that the, uh, it took the uh, earth to, the sun to orbit the earth, the earth to orbit the sun. Uh, it took 365 plus then this extra day once in a while. So the revolutionaries decided on 10-day weeks, 10-hour days, 100-minute hours, and 100-second minutes, and three-week months. The days were numbered according to the numbers 1 to 10, and the months were numbered by, by nature, Mother Earth, uh, Months like foggy and, and frosty gets the general idea. I'll not pronounce the French. But of course the French is a nation that likes to strike. And then there were all sorts of problems with the crops because they started this year just at the harvest time of the grapes. So every so many years they had to add on five days to catch up. And it was right in the middle of the grape harvest. So the farmers weren't happy. And can you imagine what the French clockmakers were like? (laughs) They tried to decimalize time. And then 13 years later, after 1793, Napoleon uh, was overcome by common sense. And by edict in 1805, uh, decided to drop this uh, uh, 10-day week calendar and give the people rest, uh, proper rest. 
I agree with the words of Victor Hamilton in his article on the Sabbath. He says this, the Sabbath is an invitation to rejoice in God's creation and recognize God's sovereignty over time. There's a reason, a good reason for six days of work and one day of rest stroke worship. I guess I never thought I'd say anything like this in the pulpit, but we should thank God for the uh, temporal providence and scientific common sense of Pope Gregory XIII, who gave us and enshrined in secular life this sacred time of seven day weeks. Aren't you glad you don't have to work today? I know some of you have been working really hard and the work spills over from the 5th into the 6th and by Saturday night you're through, you need rest. Thank God for this 7 day week. We see also that it's a blessed day. It's a blessed day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. On on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested. Verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day. Can you picture that? God sets his hands as it were on the world. And he pronounces his benediction and his blessing. On this portion of time. He blessed his whole creation didn't he? But in a special way. He blesses this day. We could say this day is a blessed day. This day the Lord's day is a day of blessing. And for blessing. And of obtaining blessing. Of being blessed. I guess you probably came to church today. And you were seeking. Well I don't know why you came. But I'm assuming. uh, Your best motives. That you've come. In some way to be blessed. By God. You haven't come just to be seen. Or because. uh, You want your. Pastor to be pleased, though that's a good thing, of course. Uh, you, you don't want the elders to be chasing you up, uh, but you've come to be blessed by God on His day. Well, what about this idea of blessing? Well, all good things that God, the King, intends for his human subjects and his creatures are joined by his blessing this day to the enjoyment of the Sabbath. In other words, this blessing is not automatic. It's it's not just because God blessed the day that you'll be blessed on this day. He blessed this day and tells it 
tells us he blessed it so that we might seek the blessing from him and obtain it on this day. When God blesses in the Bible, usually what he's doing is imparting or pronouncing or proclaiming the power to produce and abound and to live well in his world. That's what his blessing is. Do you want to abound and live well and be productive in what you do to be a benefit to yourself and others? Well, it's, it's, it's linked to this day. It's a day of blessing. Of course, if we doubt or disbelieve what Moses wrote, well then we'll not connect a productive, useful, full, well-lived life with this day. But if we're taught and instructed by his word and understand what blessing is, then we will, I think, uh, put a wee mark in our calendar and, and shade it out each week. I need to be blessed by the Lord, so I'm going to be in God's house on his day. And he uh, pours out his blessing on the working week through all that he's given to help us obtain blessing on this day. You see, blessing is attached and joined to the means of grace. To scripture, to preaching, to psalm singing, to prayer, to the fellowship and the body life of God's people. It's linking ourselves and associating ourselves with these things that by grace we milk the benefit from this day and are blessed. So if later curse through sin would remove the paradise-like rest of Eden as it did, remember Cain becomes the restless wanderer on the face of the earth. He's totally out of joint. He's dislocated in the world. Well, if that's what happens through sin, we come back to paradise and we pass through the wormhole into the world of blessing as we enjoy this Sabbath rest in God's house. And we seek covenant blessing through the gospel that Jesus brings. J.C. Ryle will be known to some of you, the, the former Bishop of Liverpool. He's long dead now. But he wrote, I'm paraphrasing this, as goes the Sabbath, so goes the Christian faith in a nation. See what he's saying? If we lose this day of spiritual rest, well then the church eventually itself will be lost because spiritual benefit is linked to this day and how we use it. 
if we love this day, the gospel thrives. And if we loathe this day, the gospel dies, at least in our hearts. But if it happens en masse, then there's massive spiritual decline. This day, of course, was Christ's most busy day, wasn't it? This was when, for him, it was a day of hectic activity. When he cured people, when he taught people, when he served people, when he poured out his heart and love to people. And so, if we're to be blessed as well as coming to God's house, we need uh, to rest and worship and have our and our loving God, doing good and meeting need on this day. A friend of mine back in Belfast and his wife, Robert and Wilma McKenzie, I remember they had this practice uh, certainly in former years of with their kids going to church uh, Sabbath school uh, church Bible class coming home going to church but in the middle part of the day what they did was they went and visited people who were sick in hospital to do good and so it's a good day for doing Good. It's also a holy day. It's also a holy day. Look at verse 3 again. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy or sanctified it because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, I think... It's, it's probably correct to say that we don't strongly believe in holy seasons and holy days and holy years. Though it has been my pattern uh, back in Belfast to hold a series of evangelistic services or broadcasts on the week leading up to uh, what is known conventionally as Good Friday. That's just been my pattern back in Belfast it's not because I'm a big believer in the sacredness of that time but just because people are thinking about those things generally it's been my pattern as well to preach a resurrection sermon on this day but I thought the theme of rest tied in well uh, to uh, these times when folks recognize this was a day Historically, when Christ rose from the dead. But we don't have a strong attachment to seasons, days and years. That were the shadows in the law or of the rest that was to come in Christ. And yet we have to say that this is one holy day which was distinguished and made distinct and set apart for the blessing of the human race until we leave this earth this is the holy day this is the high day this is the market day spiritually of the soul when we transact business with God when we serve 
our eternal interests and economy and are enriched in God. What does being holy mean? If I was to ask you that question, what does it mean to be holy? What would you say? I suspect we'd have a range of answers. I'm not asking for you to put up hands right now, but we can talk maybe afterwards. Uh, Being holy is to be abnormal. Not in a bad sense, but just not the run of the mill or regular. Or special. Or in some way linked to the worship and service of God who is holy. It means to be withheld from regular common use. It means to be treated with special care. Or it means to be in close relationship to or with the activity of God's house. That's what being holy means. Being holy or pronouncing holy means making someone or something uh, dedicated, consecrated, recognized or pronounced or set apart as holy for God or being brought into a state of holiness. Let me give you a couple of examples. Holy. Who was holy? Aaron, the high priest of Israel, was holy. He was taken from the tribes. He was set apart from the family of Levi. And he was ordained and consecrated to this special work. And he stood apart in his role and service. He was different from everyone else. You see that idea of holy, given over to God. Or think of the temple. The whole of God's people in one sense was a holy camp. But then you came to the tabernacle or the sanctuary or the worship temple right in the middle of the camp in the wilderness or the land in Jerusalem in Judah in Israel right at its heart and how was it described it's God's holy house which had a an outside court and then the holy place and the closer you got to God and the place where his glory dwelt it was the most holy place because God was present there in his grace with his people. So you see that it's it's holy space. It's a holy place or a holy person. It's different. You, you couldn't say the holy of holies where the ark of God is is just like outside the camp because it wasn't. It was different. It was distinct and was consecrated by God's presence. So what we see here 
uh, is that if man was the crown of creation, it's the Sabbath day at which the creation reaches its climax, its Everest, its Mount McKinley, its peak. Creation soars to the height on this day which has been set apart for the worship of God. The Sabbath is not an ordinary day. It's an extraordinary day each week. And that's how we should come to think of it. And as we come, as I've said, we pass through God's special weekly wormhole and enter heavenly space. This is where we have access to heaven on earth most closely. Not because the pastors here or the elders are here or because the the place is special in itself but but it's because God's grace and the gospel is here as it's faithfully proclaimed and taught and preached it's because Jesus himself just like he was except you can't see him in the synagogue in Nazareth he's here when his word is preached Who doesn't want access to Christ on his day? I can't satisfy your hearts. I can't save your souls. I can't give you rest. I can't bless you. But he can. And he can do more. He can do everything you need for this life and for the next and that's why the Sabbath is like no other yes you all have your many wormholes in your private places where you study scriptures and pray but this is a massive wormhole into God's own presence through his word and through his Sacrament. So how do we put those principal thoughts into practice if they're true, which they are, I believe? We need to be warned about profaning and treating as common what is sacred. We might have done that simply because we haven't realised or we've just fallen into lax habits. But if we've done that, uh, we do need to be corrected and instructed and with a broken and a contrite heart, ask God to revive days of blessing individually and together in his house, whether it's in Ridgefield Park or in Green Island in Northern Ireland, which is near Carrick Fergus, that place I told you about. The elder in Psalm 23 was from uh, Green Island. We're to take off our shoes as it were and not trample holy ground. That's 
effectively what the prophet is saying in Isaiah. You, you, you profane this day by walking on it and trampling it by turning your feet as you please on my holy day. It's this idea that the Sabbath is just like the ground around the burning bush where God revealed himself to Moses. It's holy. This is an encounter with the living God more clearly revealed than Moses saw. He had never seen the crucified Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We mustn't do our own will, as the prophet said. Seek our own gain. Mouth idle words that mean nothing and just frivol the day away in what is unimportant. Because this is precious time. I think I, I calculated this week the number of Lord's days I have left on earth to preach and the number of sermons I have to give and I kind of thought, oh, not that many. In fact, I may have only one. This could be my last. So how am I going to maximize the benefit of this day? You know, if we could get a little bit more off the IRS and have to pay a little less we would do it more for us is money our God or is Christ our redeemer the mediator we're not to do things that are good and right on other days but divert and deflect us from making the best of this day. It's interesting, isn't it? The fourth commandment is a positive command. Most of the commandments are thou shalt not, but this is remember. Don't forget. So this day is not, and some of you might be a little, little bit taken aback at this, is not a day primarily to focus on family or friends, certainly not fun and finance, but for the fellowship of God's people in God's house and afterwards. We will enjoy a, a meal, a, a fellowship meal sh- shortly, I hope, in one of your homes and we'll talk about the things of God we'll talk about church we'll spend time with each other in fellowship that's a wonderful thing Micah the prophet also warns us against counting down the clock in order to speed on with regular work you know it's it's okay I've have an exam tomorrow at, at nine o'clock, and so eleven fifty-nine and forty-nine fifty, fifty-one fifty-two fifty-three. Great, I can get on with my work. Trust the Lord. Work hard Monday to Saturday, and trust the Lord for His day, and then you'll not end up in a 
job or occupation where you're overstretched because you've had to work seven days to study students. You'll get the place you're meant to have and a useful role in life. So applying this, of course, is not always easy. There's some difficult issues to work out and think through. But let's not fall into the cool Christian slogan which often sneers at Sabbath keeping by saying, every day is the Lord's day. It's not. And let's take a leaf out of John on on Patmos. Remember, there he was, probably breaking rocks because he had preached the gospel throughout the province of Asia Minor. As an old man, 80 or 90 years old, and he maybe has had to work on that day already, but before sunup or after sundown, that old rock-breaking slave apostle John, what's he doing? I was in the spirit, no doubt with the scriptures, the word and the spirit always together. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And what <coughs> happened? What was the outcome? Who did he see? Look it up. Revelation 1. He had a vision of, of the exalted, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. And he fell at his feet as though dead. And Christ raised him up and proclaimed his resurrection life. I was living, but behold, I am alive forevermore. Isn't that amazing? Because he's the one through whose death and resurrection to life we enter into God's life. Behold, he is risen. He is risen indeed. May God bless his word to our hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this special time this